0: Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. We're talking healthcare today, May 23rd. I'm your host, Christine Hargis. Calling in to Fool HQ in Alexandria, Virginia is full.com
1: healthcare contributor Todd Campbell. Todd, what's the latest? Uh, I'm excited. I'm excited to talk today about what I think could be one of the most important investing themes in healthcare over the course of the next 10 to 20 years. Absolutely.
0: So today, just to dive right in, we're talking about the diabetes space and specifically some medical device makers within the diabetes space. We got a listener email from Brian B., thanks for writing in, who noticed that we tend to cover a lot of pharma companies and drug makers. And it's true, we do. They have a lot of growth potential. I think they're very exciting. They have clinical updates all the time. But Brian suggested that we spend a little bit more time of our coverage talking about medical devices and the... Their, their makers. So today we thought we would do just that, specifically regarding the diabetes market. I mean, the impact of this disease, as you already alluded to, Todd, is staggering and the number of patients is growing very quickly. So can you kick us off with some more background?
1: Sure. I think it might be helpful to begin with, what is diabetes, right? <laughs> you know, I mean, I think we've all heard of diabetes, but we may not fully understand what the disease is. In healthy people, when we consume food and we get glucose into our bloodstream the pancreas releases insulin and that insulin allows our body to store the glucose for energy later on in fact um, glucose is the primary source of energy for the brain in type 1 diabetes because of either genetic or environmental factors people don't the patients don't produce insulin so they can't store the glucose and as a result they end up with too much uh, glucose in their bloodstream—that's called high blood sugar. And in type two patients, um, basically, what happens is they develop a resistance to the insulin that they produce, um, so that you know they're not able to to store the glucose. And in both of those situations, Christine, it, you know, this, we're talking about a potentially life-threatening situation. I mean, you have um, consequences associated with diabetes that include everything from nerve loss. Um, to an increased risk of cardiovascular death. I mean, 30 million Americans alone uh, with diabetes. And Christine, any guess as to how many people with pre diabetes in the United States? Probably at least double the number of diabetics. 84 million. 84 million with elevated blood sugar levels that put them at the risk of diabetes. It's no wonder that there are 1.5 million new diabetes diagnosis in the U.S. alone every year.
0: Yeah, and treatment on diabetes is going to continue to eat up more and more of our overall health care costs, from $408 billion to $622 billion, the levels of spending rose between the years will rise, sorry, between the years of 2015 and 2030, according to one study. And it's it's a disease where it really does need to be managed for life. It's a, a chronic condition, and it is, as you mentioned, a life-threatening one, particularly if it's inadequately controlled. And so traditionally, diabetics have had to prick their fingers for blood to measure their glucose levels throughout the day and take action when necessary. And so while there are companies that are focused on making insulin or other non-insulin drugs to help regulate levels of insulin and glucose in the blood. There are also companies who are focused on the monitoring and trying to get the most practical information about the action that diabetics should then take. And so that's when you where you have your medical device makers come in.
1: right. We oftentimes talk about, Christine, the different drugs that are being brought to market by biopharma to try and help our bodies deal with these elevated, uh, levels of, of, of blood sugar, we don't oftentimes talk about the medical, medical device companies, the med tech companies that are out there trying to improve upon our understanding of our disease. So if we are a diabetic, helping us be able to have greater insight um, into our blood sugar levels so that we can treat ourselves better than we have in the past. I mean, if you were a diabetic in the 70s or the 80s or the 90s, you really, you know, I don't want to say it was a guessing game on insulin. But I mean, you were really depending on stick these finger sticks that you would do four to six to 10 times a day to try and figure out, okay, well, you know, should I be taking insulin or not, or relying upon basically how your body was feeling? Well, am I starting to get a little bit you know, woozy or whatever. And unfortunately, when those symptoms, if you wait for those symptoms to rise, you're already having a problem, right? The idea would be to control the disease better so that you don't run the risk of either hypo or hyperglycemia, which are two very dangerous diseases that, or conditions I should say, that can occur in diabetics.
0: Yep, absolutely, and there have been a couple of advances that are really exciting for diabetics to get more information, more continuously, and be better be better able to react in real time when the levels are getting a little bit out of whack, as opposed to having to wait for the symptoms to show, which is, of course, at that point it's later than uh, than necessary. You know, at, at that point, ideally, you already would have adjusted. So, I think our best approach here is to go company by company that is working in the space and talking a little bit about. About what they've done. So let's start with, with the Goliath of today's discussion, which is Medtronic. The ticker is MDT. They're a huge company, $115 billion market cap. To be clear, they are not a pure play in diabetes. They're also working in cardiovascular and pain and surgery and a bunch of other areas. But they do have
1: a diabetes segment. Right. And that diabetes segment doesn't you know, doesn't uh, represent a huge amount of the of the company's revenue, but there is some pretty exciting stuff going on at Medtronic in diabetes that's making that segment a bigger driver of the company's quarter to quarter performance. Now, Medtronic has long participated in what's called the continuous glucose monitor market, the CGM market. You mentioned there were two ways or two you know medical devices that are getting more increasingly used by patients to evaluate and control their disease. One of them, one of those two is the continuous glucose monitors. Um, So they've always been a participant within that marketplace, but what happened in 2017 is that they won FDA approval for something called the MiniMed 670G. And the 670G is the first closed loop quote unquote, artificial pancreas system that the FDA has signed off on. And essentially what we're talking about there is a system that will automatically evaluate your blood sugar levels by testing every five minutes and then as necessary, automatically administer insulin to help keep that blood sugar in check.
0: Which is really a pretty cool development. So you think about going from the single point in time finger pricks, and then evolving the care to a CGM, where picture a sine curve for my math nerds out there, where you can actually see that that your levels are rising and falling and watch that trend over time. And so that's even more complete information. Then with this, what they're calling artificial pancreas, that is a step even beyond the information of the CGM, whereas now it's actually taking action on it too and adjusting insulin in response to that information. So that is a huge step forward for convenience and timeliness of reacting to the data. Right now, there are about 20,000 patients that are using this device, which was approved back in September 2016. And it should probably uh, begin to, to gather even more use.
1: Yeah. I mean, I've, I've polled some of my friends who are, are diabetics. Um, this is a type 1 diabetes um, uh, solution, um, primarily because those are the people who are going to need, need, to be managing their disease most intensely. Um, you know, they tend to prefer, uh, some of the other options we're going to talk about right now, Uh, over this, but I think over time as the technology evolves and these systems get, you know, uh, easier on the patient to use, et cetera, et cetera, I think that you'll see this more and more patients using it. And you've got 1.5 million Americans alone with type 1 diabetes. So at 20,000 patients worldwide using it, you don't have a huge amount of penetration. Nevertheless, it was still responsible for Medtronic's diabetes revenue growing by double digits year over year in Q1. Now, they didn't broke out, break out the exact sales of the MiniMed 670G. But what they did say is that diabetes segment sales in Q1 were 584 million, um, which is pretty good. you know. But remember, Medtronic's sales in Q1 were 7.4 billion. So if you're looking for a pure play uh, in diabetes, this isn't going to be it.
0: Right. Another stock that's also not going to be your pure play, but is interesting to talk about in this space, is Abbott. Their ticker is ABT. It's another huge company. They're $100 billion plus. And again, they have a diabetes segment that's just one part of the larger company. Abbott, I believe, doesn't even break out their diabetes revenue. It just falls into the other bucket for them, which that other bucket for Context was a total of four hundred and fifty or sorry, $430 million in revenue out of a total of 75 million. $4 billion in the last quarter. So again, they're only uh, dealing with this market a little bit relative to the entire business, but they're still doing some interesting things. They have their Freestyle Libre, which was the first CGM that was approved that didn't require additional finger pricks for calibration of the system. And when this came out, it was pretty revolutionary. Um, we're going a little bit out of order here because the next stock that we want to talk about is the stock that created the first CGM but I will leave you in suspense for which company that was if you don't already know. But when Abbott came out with its system, it really took a, a, a the stock that made the original CGM took a beating.
1: Yeah, one of the um, one of the big uh, I guess knocks against uh, CGMs, these continuous glucose monitors has been that they still required the finger sticks for calibrating them regularly. And I that's why when the FDA approved the freestyle Libre from Abbott last year, um, it was such a, 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 a big and intense and wonderful development for patients. And as a result, that's turned into a, quite a commercial opportunity for Abbott. Now, most of our listeners probably would be familiar with Abbott if they're income investors, right, Christine? Because Abbott has a very long track record of, matter of fact, as a dividend aristocrat, of increasing its dividend every year. They don't necessarily think about Abbott for the diabetes business. But maybe that will change, because since they launched the Freestyle Libre um, in Q1 alone – their diabetes revenue grew 30% year over year. That's, that's remarkable growth for, for um, a medical device segment of this size. Now, granted, again, like Medtronic, a very small proportion of the overall pie here at Abbott, but still an intriguing stock to keep an eye on.
0: Yep, for sure. So, I already started to intro our next company as the first company to get a CGM approved. Uh, this one is Dexcom. Their ticker is DXCM. They're a much smaller company, around a $7.5 billion market cap. And about a decade ago, they were able to achieve this distinction of being the first FDA approved uh, maker of a continuous glucose monitor which was pretty revolutionary. And so we mentioned Abbott's system and how that was very disruptive. So where does that leave Dexcom? Are they old
1: news now, or are they still able to compete? Yeah, a lot of people were very concerned about what this would mean for Dexcom. Now Dexcom is 100%, um, you know, exposed to the diabetes marketplace. So this would be a pure play within the area. And they they were pioneers and remain, I think, pioneers in CGM technology. They have taken an agnostic approach to developing CGMs, meaning that they want their CGM to be able to be used with whatever insulin pump or insulin delivery device um, a patient chooses. And, And that could be an advantage for Dexcom longer term. They closed the gap to the Freestyle Libre earlier this year when the FDA approved their latest generation uh, CGM, that's the G6. The G6 also doesn't require finger sticks for calibration, and it does have one advantage in that the FDA approved it to be interoperable. Uh, with other devices, and that's the first time the FDA has given that kind of a nod in its language to one of these CGMs. That means that this CGM can be used with, again, agnostically with other insulin pumps made by other companies we're going to talk about in a second, Um, or even with apps uh, that are developed for smartphones, etc.,
0: Right. And I'll add one other distinction that uh, Dexcom has going for it, which is that in a head-to-head study of the G5, which was its previous system, versus the Freestyle, which was Abbott's system, it showed that the G5 actually outperformed in terms of time required to detect hypoglycemia. And so that study just came out earlier this year and should be a little bit of a tailwind for them in trying to compete with Abbott. But I also truly don't think that The winner that comes out on top is necessarily going to be the only winner. This is an enormous market, as we led off with at the very beginning of the episode, and so I can see room for multiple winners.
1: You know that is an awesome point. I mean, on the Freestyle Libre, Abbott's saying that they're adding, I think, uh, fifty thousand patients a month. Right? This is a huge market. Two thirds of those patients, I think, are are, uh, uh, type one, and one third is is type two. Um, We're barely scratching the surface in type two diabetes for CGMs. And I think as these machines get more savvy, smaller, more efficient, more easily used and potentially cheaper, payers are going to begin to reimburse them more widely. Just to put in context too, with the Freestyle Libre being on the market, Dexcom still delivered year over year growth in the first quarter of 30%, that was 184 million in revenue. And this year, they're guiding for sales of 850 to 860 million. So despite the threat from Abbey, uh, it's not like this company is, is seeing a deceleration in in, in its sales. So those
0: are your CGM makers. Let's move on and talk a little bit about the insulin pump makers themselves. So one of them uh, that we want to highlight is called Insulet. Their ticker is PODD. They're a $5 billion market cap company, and they make something that's called the Omnipod insulin, Insulin Management System.
1: Yeah, these are, these are really cool devices. They look a little bit like a, a, the old airport that was made by Apple, kind of like a saucer-like device. And they're relatively small, though, and you can stick them on your skin to deliver insulin directly into your body. You can wear them for up to three days. Um, it's a very freeing device. I happen to know someone uh, who is a neighbor who's a young 15-year-old, very active, and he wears one and, and absolutely loves it. Um, you know, it, it's paired up typically with a CGM. Uh, oftentimes, it's being paired up with CGMs that are made by Dexcom. And uh, its sales, you know, last year in 2017 grew 26% to $460 million. And, you know, thanks to some new Medicare reimbursement coverage, um, sales should grow to between 565 to 580 million this year. That's up 22 to 25%. So, again, a pure play insulin pump maker um, that also, intriguingly, Christine, wants to challenge Medtronic. Yeah, they're developing their own closed-loop system. So we talked a little bit about Medtronic and their uh, 670G, which is their artificial pancreas system, Well, insulin is developing its own and that system will be pairing up its obviously its pods with Dexcom's uh, CGM, and you know according to management they plan on incorporating over time the latest Dexcom that just got approved, the 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 G6. Yeah,
0: there are several different. Uh... Intriguing partnerships and overlaps between some of these businesses, Um, it's it's actually difficult to pick apart who is going head-to-head as a competitor and who is playing nice with interoperability and working together to develop things, um, because all these companies are fairly closely tied together. Uh, you mentioned reimbursement, and I would I do want to stress that that's actually a really important point to look into for each of these companies. When a new device is approved, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be covered, um, particularly by Medicare and Medicaid, which cover an enormous amount of patients. And so you'll see in some of the earnings reports and press releases for these companies that they will highlight, hey, our newest device just got approved for coverage by Medicare Part D prescription drug benefit program, and that's always really good news to see. So another key development to look out for with all of these companies,
1: right? Because otherwise you're paying for this stuff out of pocket, and it can get pretty costly. And that's been one of the things that's held back the penetration of these uh, the CGMs, especially um, is is then showing and convincing payers that controlling better control of your blood sugar levels over time will reduce their costs. And so it's a long-term money-saving thing. And we've talked in the show about this in the past, Christine, how difficult it is because most people uh, change their insurance within a few years. So the company that may be paying for something now that has a long-term benefit may actually not benefit from that long-term benefit uh, while that, you know, it may be a, a, a Medicare or something else that that actually gets the benefit from it. And these are largely
0: razor and blade model businesses, which from the business perspective is really great. You have the initial sale of the device and then you have disposable, consumable elements of it that produce recurring revenue. But if you look at that from the payer's side, maybe that's not quite as good because that means that you are going to be on the hook for paying for not just the device, but also all of the consumables that go along with it. So, last company that we want to talk about today is somewhat similar to Insulin in that they are an insulin pump maker. They're called Tandem Diabetes Care, ticker is TNDM. Pretty small company here. But Actually, I think they're the smallest that we've talked about today. They're only a $660 million market cap company. Um, they've been extremely volatile. They've been extremely dilutive of their shareholders. Um, but they're, they have some partnerships with Dexcom,
1: and they're doing some interesting things. Yeah, they they make the touchscreen T-Slim X2 insulin pump. It's the only pump they claim that can allow for remote feature updates from a computer. So that could be advantageous to to people who want to be able to buy it once and be able to get some updates on it. It is like uh, Dexcom and Insulit, 100% exposed to the diabetes market. So theoretically, its demand and sales are going to grow right alongside um, diabetes growth. Um, It is also working, like Insulin is, on its own closed-loop artificial pancreas system that could theoretically someday challenge uh, Medtronic. Um, But uh, we're still probably at least a year away from starting to see, you know, that product come on the market, maybe even two years, depending on how these trials play out. Uh, It is working with, on that artificial pancreas system, Christine, it is also working with Dexcom. Um, so it's it's pairing up Dexcom's CJM with its pump. Uh, you mentioned that it's the smallest of the bunch that we're talking about today? Absolutely. Its revenue in the first quarter um, was much smaller than these other companies. I, and, and I think it was about 27 million, yeah, 27 million in the first quarter. And in 2017, they only did 108 million in sales. First quarter sales, though, were up 44%. So that's good. So we'll have to see whether or not they continue to win market share away from these other pump makers. I think one of the things, though, that we have to remember, Christine, tell all of our investors, these pure plays that we're talking about, they're all losing money.
0: Yeah, that's true. It makes them kind of hard to value on traditional metrics. And even when you use stuff like price to sales, they actually still look very expensive. And so I I think that's a question worth exploring a little bit. Most of these companies do look like they're extremely expensive. Um, Are there any bargains to be found in this space?
1: Well, bargains are always relative, right, Christine? I mean, we talk about this um, when we talk about investing all the time. Um, I I think that, yeah, it's great if you can buy a stock on sale. But what's more important over a 10 or 20 or 30-year long-term time horizon is how big is the market opportunity and is there a competitive advantage that could allow one of these companies to to win uh, versus another company? So, yes, the price-to-sales ratios are elevated on these stocks. You're running anywhere between 5 and 10 times for the pure plays. But you can justify that if you say to yourself, yeah, but you know, we're only scratching the surface on the millions and tens of millions of patients, theoretically, that could begin to use CGMs and pumps over the course of the next 10 to 20 years. So my advice to investors would be, yeah, recognize that you're, you're, if you're a value investor, you're not gonna be buying these three pure plays. Um, you might wanna look at Medtronic and Abbott instead. Um, but if you're a growth investor, you know stay focused on, on the big picture, which is that the patient population, the addressable market, is going to climb significantly over the course of the next decade.
0: And if by chance you're looking at Tandem specifically because it is so small and saying, hey, why shouldn't they be just as large as Insulate? Let me buy them now. Um, I do want to make sure that I mention that this is a company that, as you mentioned, Todd, is losing money, but that alone is not a terribly bad thing. That's okay for the place that they are right now in their business cycle. But they have a large amount of debt. They have $72 million in cash. Most of that came from an equity offering in February. They have been extremely dilute. Shares outstanding have risen 900% over the last one year, 400% since just January. So this is a company that is fairly early stage relative to a company like Insulet, and so they need financing and they need to take these sort of actions in order to keep their business running. So um, when when you're comparing your stocks, I wouldn't necessarily say, "Hey, these two have the same addressable market, but Tandem is so much cheaper on a market cap basis." Let me immediately go for that. I mean, I think it's an interesting company, but it's a lot riskier than these more developed, uh, more mature Insulate, which is, by its own uh, accord, also not going to be as mature and as developed as something like Medtronic.
1: Yeah, and maybe of the three pure plays, Dexcom is the more mature, and I don't want to say less risky, because it's a plenty of risky stock, Christine. Uh, just look at its stock price chart over the course of the last three years, right? Um, but it, the fact that it's agnostic and it's got exposure to both Tandem and to insulate, maybe that makes it a little bit less risky because it doesn't matter which one of insulate or Tandem gets to market first with a, with a competitor to, to Medtronic's closed loop system.
0: Yep, I agree. Great. Well, thank you so much, Todd. That'll do it for today's show. I hope everyone enjoyed the break from our normal drug maker coverage. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks that they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. This show is produced by Austin Morgan. For Todd Campbell, I'm Christine Hargis. Thanks for listening, and Fool on!